McLean County health officials link spike in COVID cases to youth sports. A play day will honor Rika Roundtree's birthday on Saturday. More on these stories. I'm Sierra Henry. I'm Kelsey Watsonauer. And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. We're back with a full day of news coverage, so sit back, relax, and let us tell you the news. Uh, first off, Kelsey's going to tell us a little bit about some uh, state and national news localized by our State House reporter, Decatur Herald and Review, Brendan Moore. Well, for some quick state government news, we're going to take a look at a report coming from Brendan Moore, as you said. This week, he did a deep dive on whether or not Illinois will adopt vaccine passports. That refers to whether the state will require proof of vaccination to participate in certain aspects of society and can be either digital or written certificates. Moore wrote that Governor J.B. Pritzker has not said much about the merit of such passports, but said that a vaccine passport should not be required to enter an event. To read more on what vaccine passports entail and what other state governments have said about these passports, check out Brendan's story at herald-review.com. In local city government news this week, the Bloomington City Council plans to hold a special meeting on Monday to discuss whether to issue a formal admonishment for Ward 6 Alderman Jen Carrillo's Facebook comments to make, quote-unquote, life a living hell for two recently elected city council members. Alderman and Bloomington Mayor-elect Maboka Milwamble uh, brought forth the agenda item to discuss and take action or resolution addressing Carrillo's recent statements. Uh, the statements were directed at at Ward 3 Alderman-elect Sheila Montney and Ward 5 Alderman-elect Nick Becker, who she characterized as dangerous authoritarians who got bought out by the police union. Panagraph reporter Tim Eggert has followed the story very closely since election night, so if you want to read up on the full scoop, head on over to Panagraph.com. The special meeting will be held Monday night at 5.15 p.m. Uh, before the Committee of the Whole meeting at 6 p.m. Now down in Charleston, the Coles County Board voted to renew a solid waste grant program despite hearing strong opposition from the community. The board heard a complaint from county resident Les Combs, who has spoken to the board about his concerns regarding the operation of the program. Later in the meeting, the board announced resignation of current chairman Brandon Bell and board member Travis Coffey. Bell had indicated months ago he planned to resign from his position after moving from the district he represents. Coffey did not indicate a reason for his resignation. Catch the full story of the night's events at jg-tc.com where you can read Dave Bopay's full report. And now let's move into some health news. COVID leading the news as always. Sierra, take it away. Uh, Now, in McLean County, health officials identified this week a worrying trend likely contributing to a recent spike in local coronavirus cases. The health department on Friday stated that the majority of school-aged COVID cases, uh, the patients are contracting the virus outside of school while traveling, family events, and sporting events. Panagraph reporter Lindsay Jones wrote this week. The announcement came just a day after Bloomington High School Athletic Director Tony Bauman announced the school would prematurely close its football season at all levels due to positive COVID cases cases in the program. Bauman was not alone in this decision. Um, McLean County Unit 5 Superintendent Kristen Weichel this week said the school district has seen an uptick in cases coinciding with athletic sports resuming. Uh, The Panagraph will continue to follow this story closely, as well as developments in Decatur, Charleston, and Mattoon. Check out reporter Lindsay Jones' stories breaking down coronavirus cases across three sites, panagraph.com, jg-tc.com, and herald-review.com. In other quickie health-related news, uh, JGTC 
Rob Stroud reported that an OSF on-call urgent care facility is scheduled to officially open next Tuesday in the Mattoon Marketplace. The facility is affiliated with Peoria-based OSF Healthcare and will build on OSF's primary care services. Uh, these facilities are typically located near neighborhoods and shopping areas where historically healthcare providers have not been located. Uh, read Stroud's report at jg-tc.com to learn more about what this facility will have to offer the Charleston Mattoon area. Now, Kelsey, let's jump into some education news. Tell me what's going on with Heartland this week. So Heartland Community College announced in-person learning will be returning for its Heartland Academy for Learning Opportunities, or HALO, program this fall. HALO provides higher education experience for students ages 18 to 28 with intellectual and or developmental disabilities as well as other learning challenges who want to continue their education beyond high school. Enrollment is open for the HALO program now through mid-June and potential students can reach out to the school to schedule a classroom visit or an informational session as they need. For more information on this, be sure to find Lenore Savota's story over at panagraph.com. Uh, COVID upset many high school favorite activities, but Clinton High School symphonic band teacher Nathan Wheeler has found a way to keep music alive for his band students. Uh, throughout this past year, as students were sent to learn from home, these band kids found a solution to practice their music and perform through YouTube videos. This is a really heartwarming story as many of the band students have expressed their appreciation for Wheeler for finding a way for them to continue playing music even while apart. Check out the full feature story written by Valerie Wells where we have video and photos of the students at herald-review.com. Now moving back into some higher ed news, Illinois Wesleyan is investigating a hazing incident reported at Sigma Chi last weekend. Few details have been released, but at least one student, a freshman pledge, was injured in the incident. All operations for the Wesleyan chapter of Sigma Chi have been suspended pending the university's investigation. To read more on this issue and to hear from the Dean of Students, you can find my story at panagraph.com. And now let's move into sports. It's game day in Decatur, folks, and Milliken is looking to finish its spring season undefeated as they face off against Carthage College at 5 p.m. in Kenosha. Undefeated Milliken is coming off a quadruple overtime 42-34 win over Augustana two weeks ago, and though it's a shortened season, Herald and Review reporter Matt Flan is calling this the Big Blues Revenge Tour. He has a story looking back on Milliken's last outing and looking forward to tonight's matchup, and you can find that at herald-review.com. Illinois State University's volleyball team fell in the first round of the NCAA tournament on Wednesday. The Redbirds rallied against the University of Nevada, Las Vegas at the CHI Health Center in Omaha, but their tournament run ended with a 25-21, 25-21, 20-25, 25-17 match. Uh, ISU was the Missouri Valley Conference regular season and tournament champs this year and finished with a 16-6 record, but this loss to UNLV snapped their nine-match winning streak, so not quite the ending to the season they were hoping for. Panagraph reporter Jim Benson was able to talk to the coaches this week about the season and that last game, and you can find that story at panagraph.com. And finally, while we took a little break from sports over the last two weeks, sorry, I know everyone is really disappointed about that, but you can blame that on the local election. Uh, But in that time, we had a few athletes from the University of Illinois say that they will be heading for the NBA draft, and that would be junior center Ayo Dosunmu, senior guard Trent Frazier, and junior forward Georgi Bishanvishili. We have stories on all three of these players from our Illini reporter, Matt Flahan, so be sure to check those out at herald-review.com, jg-tc.com, and pantograph.com. Folks, before we get into public safety news, I just wanted to give a heads up. We have some pretty bleak uh, 
stories coming up, trigger warning for sexual violence, uh, violence against children. Um, so if you don't want to listen to that, or if you if you would like to skip through, uh, go ahead and skip about a couple minutes, two or three minutes ahead, uh, and just look for when I say let's move into community news. A former first grade teacher at McLean County Unit 5 who was once accused of sexually assaulting two students is now facing new charges involving sexual violence against a minor, this time in Nashville. Jonathan Hovey was released Tuesday on bond after being indicted by a grand jury in Davidson County, Tennessee on charges of rape and sexual battery by an authority figure. These alleged offenses, both against a minor victim, occurred in November 2018. Hovey was previously charged in McLean County with predatory criminal sexual assault and aggravated criminal sexual abuse. He pleaded not guilty in August 2019, and those charges were ultimately dropped when a prosecutor said material witnesses were not available. So if you want to read more about Hovey, his previous cases, and this new one out of Nashville, you can find my reporting at Panagraph.com. Sydney Mays, the Bloomington man who was convicted in January of killing three men and injuring a child, had his sentencing delayed this week. Mays attorney Michael Clancy withdrew from the case Thursday, and Judge Casey Costigan uh, granted the defendant's request for a new lawyer. 24-year-old Mays told the judge he plans to hire a new attorney but would represent himself if needed. Between his arrest and trial, Mays had represented himself for several months at a time. Panograph reporter Kate Heather was in the courtroom this week and has the full story, including what Clancy and the prosecutors had to say, so be sure to head on over to Panograph.com to read more. A Decatur man was sentenced to 45 years in prison Tuesday for coercing children aged 4 to 17 into sending him sexual images of themselves and engaging in sex acts. Judge Michael Mim described 24-year-old Cornell Johnson as a, quote, ringmaster who engaged in an exercise of power to prey on child victims for his own twisted pleasure and satisfaction. Authorities identified 17 child victims spread across eight states in this federal investigation into Johnson's child pornography operation. To read more on Johnson's case and his sentencing, you can find Tony Reed's story over at herald-review.com. Um, a Coles County jury returned a not guilty verdict Thursday for a man to a man who admitted to severely beating a man because he found him masturbating in front of two children. Jesse Baird was arrested in October and charged with aggravated battery after the man was airlifted to an Urbana hospital for his injuries. Baird did not testify during the two-day trial, but the jury heard his interview with police in which he admitted to hitting the man with a floor lamp after discovering what he was doing. Trial evidence also indicated Baird hit and knocked the other man out after he was unconscious. JG-TC reporter Dave Fope has a full story on Barrett's trial and what the other man could still be charged with at JG-TC.com, so be sure to check that out. All right, folks, let's head into some miscellaneous community news. Kelsey's going to tell us a little bit about uh, Rika Roundtree. Okay, so to close things out, I just want to talk a little bit about an exciting event going on in Bloomington this afternoon to honor a little girl I frankly haven't stopped thinking about in about two years. So from noon to four, Franklin Park is hosting the first J for Rika J play day in honor of Rika Roundtree and named for the Justice for Rika J Foundation. If you don't know, Rika died in January 2019 from blunt force trauma to her intestines. Her father, Richard Roundtree, pleaded guilty to child endangerment and was sentenced to eight years in prison. And his then-girlfriend, Cynthia Baker, was convicted of killing Rika and sentenced to life in prison after her daughter testified that she saw Baker kick Rika in the stomach. 
But to return to the positivity, uh, Rika would have turned 11 on Friday, so her mom, Antoinetta, has planned a big day to honor her daughter and bring the community outside for some fun, a play day, if you will. So it's a free event to attend, and to really make it a celebration for Rika, there will be video games, laser tag, face painting, balloon art, and other giveaways. Uh, the zoo lady will be there as well as some other special characters, and folks will see performances from the Jump for Joy squad, V8 Vast Challenge, and Next Gen Initiative, and Miss Rita. So yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun, and I know um, after talking to Antonetta, she's really hoping to make this an annual event, so we'll see if the community shows out this afternoon for for a little positivity in what would be a pretty dark story. Jay Farika Jay, play day, noon at Franklin Park. <laughs> So that's going to do it for us today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the work that we are doing and want to see more of it, we have a great sale going on for the month of April. For $29.99, our readers can purchase a 12-month digital subscription, granting you full access to our website, photos, and video. If you want to support hashtag local journalism, head on over to go.panagraph.com slash April 29th or go.jg-tc.com slash April 29th or go.herald-review.com slash April 29th. If you're enjoying this podcast and our reporting, Check us out at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts.